appreciate Cody and the and the band here helping out, just getting us started. Uh, you've all, well, some of you probably have heard that song before, right? And it really, it captures a cry um, for connection. It's just, it's, it's about, you know, people who are trying to reach out and that are, they're sending out a message really because they're, they're alone. They're isolated. They're alone. They're, they're on their own. And there's this picture in the song, the, one of the last verses that says, woke up this morning, don't believe what I saw, 100 billion bottles washed up on the shore. It seems I'm not alone in being alone. You know, I think this song, for me at least, it, it brings up just a very, very important message. Just we struggle at times with loneliness. We struggle at feeling disconnected. And, you know, it's not, it's not for lack of relationships or possibilities of relationships, but, there's a, but sometimes we just feel very, very isolated <clears throat> from other people. And <clears throat> every time I think of that song, it just reminds me of, of that reality, that there's a lot of people um, including myself, at times that I get going in, in a direction, I get so busy and focused on certain goals that I find myself very isolated from people. And, and I pay a price for that. George Gallup, he said this. He said, Americans are among the loneliest people in the world. And that, that is true. And it's not for lack of connection. You know, we live in the midst of a busy, busy um, place. You know, for all of us here, you know, we live in busy Southern California, We've got congested cities, overcrowded freeways, yet people still feel alone. You know, you go to baseball games, sit in a stadium with, you know, thousands of people, and yet we can feel disconnected and just lacking connection. Today, more than three-quarters of Americans live in metropolitan and suburban areas. And so, again, it's not for lack of access. There's a deeper issue. And I want to look at this this morning. Some of you are married. Some of you are um, part of families, but even that doesn't solve this issue. You know, you might be single, and you might feel really connected to people. You might be married, and you may feel like you're just on an island by yourself, sending out these bottles like you, like you get in this song. Loneliness and isolation can creep in over time, and if we're not careful, it can really do serious damage on the quality of our life. And I, I want to look at a passage that deals with this. We, we all really need a team. We need to be connected to people who will help us move forward in life. We need a team. Today's Super Bowl Sunday. You're all aware of this. I'm, I'm sure some of you are, you know, planning to watch the game today, big game, you know. Who's playing? The Colts and the Saints, right? For all of you that didn't know that, Colts and Saints. Any Colts fans? Oh, Saints fans? There you go. Pretty exciting Super Bowl. And, you know, you've got these two teams. They're about ready to just battle it out and go to war on the football field, right? And they're working together as teams. But after this game, you know, the scores will be settled. One team will be Super Bowl champs. They'll get their rings. And they're going to go home and have a little bit of time off before the next season starts. But they still need a team. Sports athletes, professional athletes, and superstars, one of the things that you find out about these folks that are in the spotlight is they are very, very lonely people. It's because of the same reality. We all need a team of people. They're playing on a team, but... But if after the season is over, if they disconnect, they're going to really pay a price for that. You know, they'll, get, they'll grow really lonely. That's going to impact all the rest of their life. And that's what, you, that's what you see in the Scripture. If you like, you can follow along. But isolation impacts all the major areas of our life. 
this whole idea of isolation. It's easy to just treat relationships as optional. You know, if I have time for people, if I've got time for relationships, if I can fit it into my busy life, um, then maybe I'll do it. But as long as it doesn't interfere with my goals, the things that I'd really like to accomplish. And so the truth is that humanity, for since the beginning of humanity, has been crying out with the same song, saying, I feel lonely. I feel disconnected at times. I'd like to, to reconnect or I'd like to make a connection. And you see this in the Scripture. From the very, very beginning of Scripture, you see this theme of isolation crop up. You find it in Genesis 2.18 where God says, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable or a helper suitable for him. God, he creates Adam out of the dust of the ground, the scripture says. He forms this man. He breathes life into him. And then he, he makes this statement, you know, that the man was alone. And it's not a good thing to be alone. So what God decides to do is he decides to make a suitable helper. And he gives Adam the role, the responsibility of naming all of the rest of God's um, creation up to that point, his, all the animals that had been created. So Adam's walking around naming creation. You know, he sees a, sees a cow and, you know, a she-cow and a donkey and a she-donkey and a, and a, you know, and, um, you, know, a, a, you know, I don't know, a cat, you know, a she-cat and a dog and a she-dog. And he's just naming these animals going through the, the responsibility and he, he walks through this whole thing, you know, an elephant, that's a, a male and female ele- elephant, and, and he recognizes his loneliness. He recognizes that he doesn't have a person, you know, he finds the male, female, he, fe- he finds the counterpart, and he, he, he discovers through the process of naming that he doesn't have a counterpart. He's on his own. And that wasn't a good thing, and so the scripture says that God filled this void in verse 20 of Genesis chapter 2. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found, so the Lord God created a woman out of man. He put Adam in a deep sleep, and out of the ribs, out of one of his ribs, he formed Eve. He presented her to Adam, and and his response was something to the effect of, whoa, (laughs) this is it. You've got it. You've got it right, God. The, The language, the Hebrew language, it really does capture this kind of a, whoa. You know, he he is overwhelmed with this is the right counterpart for me. This is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, he says, for she was taken out of man. And you get this powerful story about God meeting this need that we all have as it relates to our isolation. And throughout the scripture, you see this come up again. We struggle with withdrawing from people and that creates problems. And so God continues to step in to help people reconnect in meaningful ways. Jesus, in the New Testament, the Bible's divided up into two parts, the Old and New Testament, and really the division is Jesus comes on the scene. God, God sends Jesus Christ. God himself comes to earth, born to a virgin named Mary, and he comes to earth and, and he lives this perfect life and, and he's there for a purpose. And in his, in his public ministry, people took a lot of shots at Jesus, and he took a lot of hits in his lifetime. Uh, but one of the things that constantly happened was the religious leaders of, of his day, the Jewish religious leaders, would attack Jesus' methods and his message. And one of those attacks came, you find it in Matthew 22. And I want to read you uh, a few verses from that. 
up on the screen, verse 37 through verse 40. Um, I'll, I'll give you the context before you see these verses. Here's the context. It says that hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. So Jesus had, had he'd been able to deal with some of the religious leaders, and another group of religious leaders got together to try to stump Jesus or to try to trap Jesus. And one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. And he said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? So he's asking Jesus to, you know, <clears throat> to elevate, elevate one command from the Scripture. You know, we know the Ten Commandments. You've heard the Ten Commandments probably. So this guy's saying, which is the most important? Tell us. And Jesus replies with this. You have it up on the screen. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That right there is a summary of the first five of the commandments. It's to, to place God in, a, in a, a position of pure devotion and focus and just say, God, I love you more than anything else. With all my heart, my soul, my mind, with everything inside of me, I love you. That, Jesus says that's the most important thing. And then he says this. Well, he says this is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So everything that's been written about in the Old Testament hinges on these two things. Loving God with everything and then loving others. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. I want to point out a few things from this verse. He, he says the most important part of life involves other people. It involves God and other people. And sometimes we think, okay, well, good. I'll include, I'll include some family members. I'll try to love my brothers and sisters and and maybe I'll try, to, I'll try to love my, if I'm married, my spouse and my kids, if I've got kids, and maybe my parents. So we, we tend to think in terms of our family. I'll love my family. You know, I'm going to love God with all i got, and I'm going to love my family. But notice it doesn't say, love your family. He says, now, it doesn't, <clears throat> there's other parts to talk about your relationship to your family. But he says, love your neighbor I find that very interesting. The fact that he elevates the relationships outside of our family. He says these relationships are to be a huge priority in our lives. And sometimes we miss that. I think we, we think, oh, I love God. I'm going to love my family. And I'm going to withdraw from the rest of the world and with the rest of you know, people. But he says these neighbors, the people that are in our lives, you know, they are to be a major, major priority. And Jesus not only said this, but he modeled it. He made a real personal investment in people. He invested time in his, his closest followers. There was these 12 disciples that he spent time with. He traveled. They did ministry together. And he let them get up close to Jesus and see who he was. And then even within his 12 disciples, there was three that he, he really connected with. And he poured himself into these three, Peter, James, and John. So what we see in the life of Jesus was that he, he modeled the priority of relationships. He realized that isolation impacts and so he did not allow that to happen. <clears throat> so much of the New Testament was written to deal with this whole area of relationships. If you, if you begin to take God seriously and enter into a relationship with him, to try to do that and, th and to ignore the whole area of relationships and, and developing community or close relationships with others, you're, you're going to miss. You'll have to basically shut most of the New Testament because so much of the instruction to the New Testament has to do with the way we treat each other. Now, why would God put all that there if it wasn't important? We, you know, and, and Thomas Jefferson, he was, you know, a man in, in, our, you know, in our country historically who did some great things, but one of the things he decided was that 
he had a different framework and a perspective on how life should really work. And so when he, he had respect for the Bible, as long as it, it, it agreed with his thinking. And so when he came to things that he didn't agree with, essentially he would tear them out. And there were certain things he thought, yeah, I believe that that's what Jesus really wants us to do. And so we have the Jeffersonian Bible that is his version of the Bible, which includes the things that he thought were most important. But if we take that approach, man, we miss so much of life. There's so many things that Scripture says are so much of a priority. And so we, we've got to be convinced that God, He knows really what's best for our lives. And if we're going to take Him seriously, then we can't ignore passages that deal with relationships. There's a book that I really want to, I want to walk through a passage in Ecclesiastes 4, 7 through 12. You'll see it in your outline. And the author of this book, um, Solomon, most would historically say that the author was King Solomon the son of King David. Solomon was one of the wisest men. God gave him uh, really supernatural wisdom because of some choices he made, some decisions he made. And God just you know, poured wealth into this guy's life and a tremendous amount of wisdom. And so he was making observations all of his life because he got to experience so much of life. And one of the observations he makes we find in Ecclesiastes 4, 7 through 12. And he, it says this, Verse 7, it says, Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. This phrase, meaningless, if you read Ecclesiastes, it's going to come up the most. It's this idea of there's just some things in life that he encountered that was, it was kind of like, what a waste. It's like chasing after the wind, basically, it's, it's described as. You can never really catch it. There are things in life where we, it's just a big waste of time. And he's saying, I saw something else that fit into that category of waste, of meaninglessness. Um, the, we all really understand this, this category of things that are meaningless. I had a, uh, a time where <clears throat> back, I guess it was probably, uh, probably five, six, maybe seven years ago, where I had to overhaul my cooling system in my car. I didn't know a whole lot about cars beyond changing oil and brakes, but... I needed a car. I didn't have any extra money to go take it in. And so I had to overhaul this cooling system and take everything out and try to figure out why I'm getting this overheating. And, and I'm taking out hoses. And, you know, a friend of mine, DJ, he's back there in the back. We were just, you know, going through it. Thankfully, he had a lot more knowledge on the stuff. But we're going through it. We overhaul basically everything in it. We, we replace it all eventually because we couldn't, you know, necessarily determine the problem. But it eventually got fixed. And, uh, one of those memories that we made together of just, you know, long hours of working on something. And, well, after that experience, I pretty much was an expert on cars in my mind. And, because uh, I had overhauled a cooling system. And so anytime someone had a question about cooling systems, you know, I was just kind of like, oh, I got, I got that. Let me help you out with that. And, uh, <clears throat> well, I got in over my head, as you can imagine. And, um, there was a friend who was, over, whose car was overheating and I, I said, oh, I, you know, I can take care of this for you. And so generally I'm thinking it's going to take an hour or two. You know, multiply that by 10 is usually the pattern of my auto mechanic skills. And so um, I start working on this car with my friend. And in the process, I break off a part in his car. <laughs> Unrelated to the, uh, I mean, that didn't need to happen, you know. And I, I break it off and then I had to play it off for a little while. And he's looking at me. He knows nothing about cars. And I'm like, yeah, it's, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. And, and, uh, and I'm thinking, oh, great. You know, now what am I going to do? 
<clears throat> broke off this plastic radiator drain plug. That was a pretty important piece. And, uh, and I'm thinking, part of the plug is still wedged into where, the, where you screw it in, and the part that you actually need to, you know, to remove it, I'd broken off. And I'm thinking, oh, great, how do I get it out? So I'm, I'm using needle-nose pliers. I'm using anything I can think of to try to release this, the rest of the plug that was wedged into the radiator. And it's, <clears throat> I, I can't do it. Well, we spent hours and hours and hours. And the theme was we worked all day long to remove it, and we just couldn't do it. We could not do it. And I eventually went to Pep Boys and talked to a mechanic there. And he said, just don't worry about it. You don't need that part. I mean, if it's holding fluid, then you can just drain the radiator using the, just take the radiator hose off. And it was this, oh, aha. You know, and, and he kind of chuckled at me. And, and, uh, but that is one example of pouring your time and energy towards a goal that is a waste of time. It's, a, it's meaningless. Had I known that, I could have saved myself a day. I could have saved frustration for my family and this guy's family whose wife had to deal with, oh great, the car broke and Josh is out there fixing it with you. <laughs> He's a pastor. <laughs> what does he know about cars? You know, and, um, but we've all been there. We've all worked at things like that where you think, oh, I, I am, I'm going to pour my time and energy into this goal and then we come full circle and we realize, man, that was a big waste of my time. What a waste of my time. That's the, it's, that really <clears throat> is the picture that Solomon arrives at so many places in the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, there's just some, some things that we do in life that are a big, meaningless waste of time. And this was one of them. Look at what he finds. Ecclesiastes 4.8 says, he gives this story. He says, there was a man all alone. <clears throat> He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. So this is a guy who's working like a madman. He's just going after his goals. He's very wrapped up in his work. And Solomon makes this observation about him. He, just, he says, he, he arrives at a point where he, where he asks the question, what am I doing? Why am I toiling this way? Why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? He recognized, gosh, this was a waste of time. This man looked around, he realized that he was all alone. Doesn't really say that he was single, but I think the point here is that he'd got so invested and consumed in what he was doing that he'd withdrawn and he felt like, he felt no connection. It says there was no end to his toil. And what that means is there was no boundary to where the work ended. Another way to say that was he, he had no boundaries in his life. He, and I don't know about you, but I struggle in this area where I get so focused on things and I don't put up healthy boundaries between work life and relationships, work life and family, or fun and family. And I just, the scripture is saying there was no end in his toil, no boundaries in a sense. He, he just didn't have healthy boundaries. And because of that, he was extremely unfulfilled. And we end up at the same place. We get going after our own goals. We get focused. And others may even recognize, wow, they're wasting their time in this pursuit that's not amounting to a whole lot of anything. But when we're in this situation, when we find that we're not in meaningful relationships, because that's the observation. He was all alone. That was the waste. He was doing it. He was doing life on his own. There are some natural consequences. You see them up here on the screen. The first is you lose perspective. That's a, it's a natural consequence of being isolated. Is you just lose, you lose your ability to grasp reality. 
Our lows become really low. Our highs become a whole lot higher than they really are. And so we, we get out of balance. We need people in our lives, especially when we're under pressure. When there's these exciting times in our life, the highs can be too high if we let them. And when we're going through really, and, and what that looks like is we get all consumed by some things. And we lose perspective without having people who are speaking to our lives and sometimes challenging our thinking on areas. The highs become way too high. And we, we become very, very focused on the wrong things. Or, or we run through some really hard times. And if we withdraw from people when we're going through pressure and stress, man, the lows become even lower. We slip into depression. We deal with real, real pain. And so we lose perspective. That's one of the natural consequences. Another consequence from just not having meaningful relationships is fear of intimacy. When no one really knows you, when you have no close relationships, it's difficult to ever bust into a real meaningful relationship beyond your family. I'm really not just talking about have good family relationships. I'm really talking about beyond my family, are there people in my life who are helping me make progress in life? But over time, yeah, this fear of intimacy creeps in. And so a good primer for marriage is relationships before you get married. That, that was a healthy thing for me to have healthy friendships, healthy relationships before I got married. It sure helped me be willing and, and yeah, be willing to just open up with my wife. That was healthy. If I had never experienced that, that would have made for real serious challenges in marriage. Another thing is selfishness. That's another consequence. When we're disconnected, we just grow more and more selfish. Everything begins to revolve around our cycle, our needs, our schedule, our agenda. Me, me, me. And, and that's, <clears throat> we've experienced that, all of us. And, and I think when we get trapped in the selfishness thing, which is very normal for all of us, we all have to battle with selfishness, we're not fulfilled. We realize, man, feeding this selfish side of me, it's empty. It's meaningless. It's a waste. The other thing is poor health. Studies are done on this. Research studies have shown that people who are not connected in meaningful relationships had bad health. They don't live as long. They get sick more often. <clears throat> the life expectancy for those who have good relationships is higher than those without. And so this is an area that, that God says is important. And then reality, the news, education, every every. Everything comes along and supports what God says is true about life. Look at verse 9. He goes on and he says, <clears throat> he says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. If one falls, this is a picture of someone who is so, not just gets tripped up in life, but they're so overwhelmed to the point where they cannot even move forward. They cannot go on anymore. They're, they have fallen down, and if somebody doesn't reach into their lives and help them make progress, this will cripple them for good. This is the picture. He's saying, you know, pity that kind of man who, who's all alone and who sinks in, in this lifetime. According to this verse, we need relationships for support, for protection, for restoration, People in our lives can help us get back moving on our feet. And people can see our blind spots. It's like a football team. You know, if you're familiar with football, you have blockers who run ahead of the, the running backs or the receivers, right? So that when the running backs come running down the field with the ball, the blockers are moving ahead of them. They see the blind spots, the things. They see the people who are coming to attack them. 
And they're able to bump back these players. They're able to push them back. And that's what relationships can do in our lives is people for us can see the blind spots in our life, see the things that might take us down and trip us up, and they can warn us of those things. They can run ahead and they can protect us. And it's a powerful picture. Relationships are just so helpful. Take a look at this video clip from The Lord of the Rings. It really captures this idea. What you see here is <clears throat> you see two friends who are committed to supporting each other in their goals. You see one, Frodo, who's headed to carry out a mission, a very important mission. And Sam says, I'm going to go with you. Don't go on your own. I'm going to go with you. You need my support. And in the process, he about drowns himself. And, and Frodo is able to reach in and reciprocate in that relationship. He's able to, because relationships are, shouldn't be one-sided to where you're investing, you're investing, you're investing, you're caring, and it's not coming back, and, and vice versa, to where you're just sucking the life out of people like a vacuum, like a big vacuum, and you're getting all you can, and yet you show no real concern for, for them. You're not asking them questions. You're not finding out what they really need in life. That, 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 is, that is what relationships are for. It's to be reciprocal. Look at verse 11. It says, Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? People in those days would travel in packs in the Bible. They would travel from city to city in packs for the obvious reason that they could, they could stay warm together during the cold night. You know, the Scripture just, you know, how, if they go to, alone, how will they keep warm? People actually lighten our load in life. The only way to really stay warm alone, if you're journeying, like what this passage is talking about, is to carry extra blankets. That means you've got to carry more. It, it, it weighs you down to do life on your own. The picture here is if you'll go with other people in life, if you'll journey in life with others, that really lightens your load in the long run. Verse 12, he sums it up and he says, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. <clears throat> A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So he says, you know, one is, is not enough. We're highly vulnerable all by ourselves. Two people, that adds good strength. It adds, you know, it adds some support. But three people, multiple relationships makes a real difference in our life. When we have people 
beyond our family who, who, who support us as we're walking through life. You know, we're big on two because in America, best friends is a huge thing. You know, your BFF, your best friend. What does that stand for? Best friend forever? You know, that sounds so cute, you know, but, but the reality of it is we need more than a BFF. You know, we need, we need people in our lives who will walk alongside us through the good, through the highs, through the lows. If you're relying on only one person, um, that's not enough strength, the Scripture is saying here. You need more than that. It's good to have more. Cords of three strands add real strength. If you're climbing, if you're a rock climber and you have a rope, you want a rope that has multiple strands in it. You don't want to be climbing using dental floss. You know, I'm going to get up there sometime and, you know, and then you tie two strands of dental floss together. It's just not enough. We need multiple people in our lives. So I think the question to ask is, where am I at in this? Here's one last point. Your relationships determine the quality of your life. This, this is not just, this is not just my thought here. This is what the scripture declares firmly. Your relationships will determine the quality of your life. So the scripture challenges us to choose our relationships wisely. Look at Proverbs 13, 20. One of my favorite verses. This is a promise. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. He who walks with the wise grows wise over time in your life. The wise man is the, in the Bible is the person who, who takes God seriously. They live life God's way. And because of that, they find success in all the arenas of life. And so you will reflect your relationships. The thought here is you pick your friends and you pick your future. The people that you join with in your life will determine your future. You may not think that's the case, but the Scripture is very clear about this. Foolish friends as your only friends and your closest friends will bring trouble, will bring folly or harm into our lives. But if you'll choose to link arms and do life with people who are further down the road than you are, man, that is tremendous in you making progress and me making progress in my life. So here's the question I'd like you to consider. How does God want me to apply this today? What what can I apply from this message? Here's some suggestions for you. I'd encourage you to start by taking these verses home, these if Ecclesiastes verses, and see, do I identify with any one of these statements? Does this describe my life in any way? Are there parts of it that, that I can say, yeah, you know what? I'm stuck at this point. I'm falling down, or I'm going after my pursuits, and I'm lost in my pursuits. There's no boundaries. There's no end in my toil. Or maybe it's just, I'm falling down, and there's no one helping me up. I, it's because I'm isolated. Or maybe I'm broken down. I'm trying to rebuild, but I have the support of, <clears throat> of no one. So I really would encourage you to consider um, where you're at in this. But this is what God has called the church to be. To be a place that creates community for authentic friends and for authentic relationships to form for the long haul. And so um, just ask yourself, am I really connected to the right people? Walk with the wise and you will be wise. Companion of fools suffers harm. So am I connected to the right people? Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word and all that you have to say, but specifically as you challenge us to not be isolated, Lord. Um, Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this reminder. God, I think we know this is the case. I think we know it's true. And sometimes we get so focused on our goals and our our work and um, our dreams and ambitions that we lose sight of of the way you've designed life to work. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use people in our lives to 
to do what we find here to strengthen us, to support us, to give us a chance to, to care for them, to serve them, and to love them. Lord, help, help our relationships to be with those who, who really help us in the future, Lord, and not just people who have foolish patterns in their lives alone. Lord, help us to find and, and seek out relationships with people who are, who are walking with you and who are experiencing your blessing in their life. Just thank you for all that you're saying to us, God, in this area, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a cast away, an island lost at sea, oh, another lonely day, no one here but me, oh, more loneliness than any man could bear, rescue me before I fall into despair, oh. I send an SOS to the world. I send an SOS to the world. I hope that someone gets my. I hope that someone gets my. I hope that someone gets my message in the bottle. Message in the bottle, yeah. Message in the bottle, yeah. A year has passed since I wrote my notes. I should have known this right from the start. Hope can keep me together. Love can mend your life, but love can break your heart. I send an SOS to the world. I send an SOS to the world. I hope that someone gets my. I hope that someone gets my. I hope that someone gets my message in the bottle. Yeah. Message in the bottle. Yeah. Message in the bottle. Yeah. Walked out this morning, I don't believe what I saw. A hundred billion bottles washed upon the shore. It seems I'm not alone in feeling alone. A hundred billion castaways all looking for a home. I send Someone gets my I hope that someone gets
Message in the bar.